the chamber did make every effort to invite all the candidates to uh, this event that are um, running in this particular riding. Uh, we contacted them by phone, by email. The candidates that uh, responded and said they want to take part are all here uh, tonight. So without any further ado, we're going to start with opening remarks. Opening remarks will be up to three minutes each, but not exceeding three minutes. Uh, we've got uh, Alicia and Marty here at the table. They're in charge of timing. So for the candidates, um, they're going to flash like a 30-second warning to you. Then they'll flash a 15-second warning. And then at the end of the uh, three minutes, if you're still talking, I have to <coughs> interrupt you. I don't want to do that either. Um, but it, it does happen from, from time to time. Um, so those are the signals. Um, and then after that, when we get to the questions, the, uh, the questions, you have two minutes. Uh, to answer the questions, okay? So with any further ado, we'll start with the opening rem remarks. We did a draw uh, before the event tonight, so the order in which all the candidates will do the remarks and answering questions is totally random and it will not be the same uh, for every question. I will actually call each candidate uh, to answer when it is their turn. So as far as opening remarks go, um, we have... Um, Kathy Wagenthal uh, from the Conservative Party. I'm going to let the candidates introduce themselves when they come up for opening remarks as opposed to me doing it. So that's why that hasn't actually happened yet. So Kathy Wagenthal of the Conservatives will go first. Ladies and gentlemen, this federal election is a watershed moment for our nation and for Saskatchewan. Since coming to power, the Liberal strain on you and your family, our communities, our economy, our international relationships continues to fester. With Justin Trudeau's mismanagement in his first term, our economy was already spiraling due to investment loss leaving Canada. With the Liberal delayed, irrational response to COVID coming into Canada, the damage has been suffocating. His overreach into our lives has now moved to denying individual charter rights and freedoms and punishing those who are not choosing to vaccinate. Printing $424 million a day, his endless deficits are feeding inflation, driving up the cost of necessities, putting our social programs at risk, and burdening future generations with debt. With federal debt doubling to $1.4 trillion in four years, Trudeau has no plan to put Canada's finances in order. Canada's recovery plan details how our Conservative government will rein in deficits, address inflation and the rising cost of living. It's thorough, it's measured, there's hope. Read it at conservative.ca slash plan. It's time to get Canadians back to work and emergency pandemic supports and stimulate all sectors of our economy. We stand with Saskatchewan and all of rural Canada as the bedrock of our nation's GDP. We'll set aside infrastructure funds specifically for rural projects, kill the carbon tax and collaborate with Premier Mo to address and respect Saskatchewan's priorities. We'll pass a critical infrastructure protection act preventing protesters from blocking key infrastructure. We'll treat the energy sector as the key driver of Canada's economy that it is and repeal C69 and 49. We'll implement reforms to the fiscal stabilization program ensuring Saskatchewan receives retroactive compensation. We'll adopt the Equalization and Transfer Fairness Act as a government bill the Liberal attack on law-abiding firearms owners and reform Agri-Invest, Agri-Recovery and hold stakeholder meetings with the Minister of Ag to develop a way forward on insurance programs. We're going to open new markets and improve harmonization of farm product regulations with trading partners, especially the U.S. 
We're going to implement an agriculture and agri-food labor strategy in consultation with industry, ensure the sale of a farm to a family member is not taxed at a higher rate than to a stranger. Canada's recovery plan to secure the future will get our country back on track. We will put Canadians first, restore competent, transparent, accountable government to you, ensure Canada preparedness, restore our economy in all sectors, invest in the crucial ways that rural Canadians contribute to our nation's health and prosperity. I'm so honoured to be here tonight, and I humbly ask for your support. Thank you. Clearly, you didn't rehearse that and time it so that it was like exactly three minutes. Because it was like exactly three minutes. Um, next up, let's please welcome from the Green Party, Valerie Brooks. Good evening. As I watched the sunrise today, I was reminded that I am free to make different decisions today than I did yesterday. Every day we get a chance to reset to make better choices than we did yesterday, to right wrongs, and continue to strive for a better life, for better relationships, for a better world. I stand here before you today as an option for real change. I'm not a typical politician, and I stand for a party that is not a typical political party. The Green Party is firmly grounded on its six core values, and everything we do and propose to do is based on those values. Our current platform is a bold vision for Canada and would bring about a positive change for this constituency. I do understand many of the issues facing people in this riding. I was born and raised on a farm in Hudson Bay. My husband and I have owned two businesses. We have three children who, when young, we struggled from paycheck to paycheck to put food on the table while I worked hard to get an education degree. I've recently completed more education, achieving a master's degree Uh, focusing on treaty education and reconciliation. Indigenous participants in my study taught me many things, but the most important of them is that we are all interconnected and sustained by our environment. If we harm our environment, we harm ourselves. The six core values are ecological wisdom, sustainability, nonviolence, respect for diversity, social justice, participatory democracy. In a healthy and well-functioning democracy, voters would be engaged, informed, and feeling like their vote counts. I've knocked on so many doors over the past few weeks where that is not the case. Many even said, I don't even bother voting usually because it doesn't matter what we do here. It's all decided by the East. Our proposal of electoral reform would change that. Phrases and terms like vote splitting and strategic voting would become obsolete. A system of proportional representation would allow voters in each area of the country to elect representatives that would be best for them and send them to Ottawa to work collaboratively with other MPs of various party affiliations. Parties would then be able to focus on and be experts in things that matter to them while working with other parties to solve the tough issues Canadians are facing. Our platform for this election stands on three pillars. A green future, life with dignity, and a just society. Isn't that what we all want? Thank you, Valerie. Now, 
It's the People's Party, Representative Braden Robertson. Oh, thank you, uh, thank you very much. How's everyone doing today? That's good. So like you said, my name's Braden Robertson with the People's Party. I am pro-life. I am pro-guns. I am pro-freedom. I'm a Christian. And I am ashamed, as of today, to have voted for Scott Moe. What he has done today is despicable in my mind. I am not running for MP because I want to be a politician. I dislike most politicians more than anyone. I'm not running because I want to live in Ottawa. I dislike most eastern cities. And I'm definitely not running for the money. In fact, in light of today's events, if I'm elected within the first three months, I promise to donate $20,000 of my personal paychecks towards anyone in this riding who needs to fight mandatory vaccines in court. I am running in this election as a necessity to our freedoms. Vote PPC like your life depends on it, guys. And from the Maverick Party, Denise Lokes. As your Maverick representative, you have my reassurance that I will speak up for our region. Our party's voice is from the West for the West. We will only have candidates running in the West. And while we will never form government that way, only running in the West allows us to be the voice the West needs. Other parties which wish to form government will never need to prioritize other regions where there are more seats, but not us. While I love, what I love about this fact is that we have the freedom to represent our constituency and not just to have to follow party lines or the direction that the leaders dictate to their caucus as they bid to keep other regions happy. The Maverick Party believes in freedom, freedom of choice, freedom from Ottawa, and freedom to represent the West. We live in a great province, Saskatchewan, and a great part of the pro province Believe me, this is a very large riding. I've been driving over 7,000 kilometers counting so far. And while I've been out door knocking, and there are still so many places I haven't been able to get to, I have now been to so many communities and knocked on the doors of so many households, and there are so many absolutely great people living here in our riding. During this time, I have heard some very sad stories and heard the frustration from many about decisions from previous and current governments but there is also optimism which exists, that things will one day get better if we can only change how we are seen and heard by the East. We need the rest of Canada to understand that. I have talked to those that have chosen to move and live here from the East, and they get it. They try to tell those back home how, how it's true, how the East does ignore us and does not understand us. Because of our vastness, each of each area of Canada is different, almost like different countries within itself. We do need to figure out a way to change the system to ensure that each region is allowed enough autonomy to run things as they see fit, free from federal overreach. 
There are so many things which could be done, ways to make our country stronger and better and our regions more equal. We can embrace each other as being Canadian, but allow each region more independence. We can change the system, and our party has many ideas on how we can do that. Thank you. Turn the mics on and off. No, that's me doing that. <laughs> you can hear me in the room, but you probably can't hear me on the radio, correct? Let's try it one more time. If it feeds back, I'll just speak loudly. All right. We're going to begin the question period portion of the program. Um, each candidate will be given two minutes to respond to each question. So here is question one. If elected to form government, what will your party do to support those businesses which are still hurt by pandemic-related public health restrictions? Denise Lauts of the Maverick Party will answer first. Well, well today's announcement threw my previous answer out. We support small business and that I would hope that provincial government keeps small business in mind as they set their health restrictions and to ensure that small business trying to recover from last year's restrictions are able to access federal and provincial programs. Yeah, you are. She is on. Yeah. As they, last year's restrictions are able to access federal and provincial programs that should be made available to help them. Small businesses are essential to our community and we cannot lose them. Thank you, Denise. If elected to form government, what will your party do to support businesses which are still hurt by pandemic-related public health restrictions? Kathy Wagenthal of the Conservatives. Testing? Great, thank you. That's not part of my two minutes. Okay, good. A critical issue for small businesses trying to reopen right now is the low response to job offers. Under a Conservative government, the CERB will end. Our Canada Job Surge Plan will replace the wage subsidy and pay at least 25% of the salary of net new hires for the next six months. For those unemployed for six months or more, it will cover up to 50% of their salaries. The rebuild Main Street tax credit will provide a 25% tax credit on amounts up to $100,000 that Canadians personally invest in a small business over the next two years. The Main Street business loan will provide up to four months of pre-pandemic revenue to a maximum of $200,000 with criteria similar to the CWBA and 25% of the loan is forgivable based on the company's revenue loss. The Canada Investment Accelerated Refundable Tax Credit will provide a 5% investment tax credit for any capital investment made in 2022 or 23. This is on top of the existing accelerated depreciation measures that will remain in place compounding the tax advantage of working in Canada. The first 25,000 of the tax credit will be refundable for small businesses. We'll also reform the BDC, ensuring it provides accessible loans to small businesses and have it guarantee a portion of those bank loans like CMHC does. We'll fix the mortgage stress test to stop discrimination against small business owners, contractors, and non-permanent employees, including casual workers. We'll encourage 
we're encouraging uh, workers to realize that they can get the training that they need. We will double the apprenticeship job creation tax credit for the next three years. We'll invest $250 million over two years to create Canada Job Training Fund grants to employers, apprenticeship training delivery agents, unions, post-secondary institutions, and community organizations. And finally, we'll create the Canadian Training Low Interest Loan of up to $10,000 to upgrade skills, empowering workers to determine their own training needs. If elected to form government, what will your party do to support businesses which are still hurt by pandemic-related public health restrictions? Braden Robertson of the People's Party. Okay. Uh, PPC. Oh, is this thing on? Can you guys hear me? No. You guys can probably hear me without a mic. Can't do it. Radio. So sorry. Rock 98.5. I'll be quick. I know I'm 15 seconds in. A PPC government will get back to business as usual, effective immediately. The government destroyed your small businesses, not a virus. We need to end pandemic handouts like the CRB so that workers are incentivized to get back to work. Isn't it interesting that we have high unemployment at the same time that businesses can't find workers? Very, very interesting. We will cut red tape and restrictions to businesses like crazy. They will be released to work hard and grow and compete in the free market. And by the way, I've said it for 18 months and I'm going to say it again today. The government has no right to tell your business that it is not essential. Also, one last little uh, tidbit. You will never see another lockdown if you elect a People's Party government. Thank you. If elected to form government, what will your party do to support businesses still hurt by pandemic-related public health restrictions? Um, Valerie Brooks from the Green Party. The Green Party of Canada has long supported better and more robust emergency support measures for people and businesses in times of crisis. Social safety nets are necessary to help people in times of crisis. We've learned this lesson long ago in this province. When times are tough, it is easier to get through it if we bind together and support each other. Small local businesses are the backbone of the economy and should be supported when the situation they find themselves in is beyond their control, such as this pandemic. If our guaranteed livable income plan would have been in place, piecemeal support programs likely would not have been necessary. A guaranteed livable income would provide permanent and consistent income when needed that would ensure a continued flow of economic resources allowing businesses to continue to operate. Subsidies are necessary to ensure the continuation of small businesses and those funds should be coming from the large multinational corporations who have been un seen unheard of profits during this pandemic. Making those that have profited off this pandemic pay their fair share only makes sense. That money could then be used to provide incentives for small businesses to pivot to a greener, more localized business model that would help them to survive the next pandemic. Thank you. Moving on now to question number two, which is, what will your government do to encourage private investment to create jobs and economic development and how soon? 
Would incentives be implemented? And the first person to answer this question is Braden Robertson from the People's Party. Thanks. I just want to mention really quick that I wrote down all my own answers. I know it's kind of annoying for me when other people write answers for a politician. Not saying that's the case here, but I wrote my own answers, just so you know. Uh, People starting a company or running a company are looking for countries with less red tape and restrictions and, most importantly, lower taxes. Incentives does not have to mean federal subsidies. It needs to mean, in this case, less restrictions because our government just so happens to be almost bankrupt. Most importantly, to encourage economic development, we need to build pipelines coast to coast and get them to international markets. And we need to make it a priority that Canada buys Canadian oil. Over half of the oil used in eastern Canada is imported. The PPC is the only party willing to use Article 9210 of the Constitution to get pipelines built now. Because it is federal jurisdiction, basically what we're saying is a People's Party government will force pipelines. And Saskatchewan and Alberta, we're going to be rich once again. Question number two, what will your government do to encourage private investment to create jobs and economic development and how soon would incentives be implemented? And next up is Valerie Brooks from the Green Party. The Green Vision is a balanced and sustainable society. The big issue facing municipalities like we find in this riding is that they are dependent on provincial and federal governments for funding. Greens want to change the way intergovernmental system systems work works uh, by allowing cities and towns a bigger share of the tax revenue to spend how they see fit. This place-based power and decision-making model would allow cities like Yorkton and all the smaller cities and towns in this riding to be more independent, to develop businesses and services that they determine are best for their local area. A green government would support things like value-added forestry-based manufacturing facilities to be built in the northern part of this riding. A green government would establish a federally funded green venture capital fund of a billion dollars to support viable small local green business startups. Strengthening local economies by incentivizing locally owned and operated businesses that use local resources and people in the production and distribution of their product, ultimately increasing the health and well-being of all people in that area by keeping the economic flow local. A green government would help oil and gas workers transition to new jobs, building the national clean energy grid that we need to start working on today. Putting people to work retrofitting buildings and homes with clean energy solutions would be a logical solution to both the climate crisis and the losses felt with the boom and bust of the oil sector that needs to be phased out in order for us to meet our climate targets. If I had my way, we'd get to work on this as soon as possible. Question two, once again, is what will your government do to encourage private investment to create jobs and economic development, and how soon would those incentives be implemented? We know that business works best when there is less government red tape and bureaucracy involved. We have to move to incentives that not only help business flourish, but this is also how we can move into more green objectives, as I believe the carbon tax does nothing. 
An example would be incentives to help farmers make use of local businesses that help them through soil testing and analysis. Regarding the use of fertilizer, herbicide, and pesticides that are required and work to achieve greater end product use and not overuse. Thereby still buying the products they need and being able to spend more on other services and products in the community. Other businesses will also flourish. Once again, question number two, what will your government do to encourage private investment to create jobs and economic development, and how soon would those incentives be implemented? Kathy Wagenthal. Thank you, Mike. These two items I already mentioned will be implemented over the next two years. The Rebuild Main Street tax credit will provide a 25% tax credit on amounts up to $100,000 that Canadians personally invest in a small business over the next two years. To get our economy growing faster and create good, stable jobs, Canadian Conservatives will introduce the Canada Investment Accelerator, providing a 5% investment tax rate for any capital investment made in 2022 and 23, with the first $25,000 to be refundable for small businesses. Canada's complicated tax system is full of special rules that favor the rich big corporations and those with connections in Ottawa. Meanwhile, costs and complexity fall on the middle class and small businesses. Canadians cannot afford teams of accountants and lawyers to help them navigate the system. We'll appoint an expert panel tasked with reviewing the tax system and making recommendations to make it simpler and fairer while improving Canada's competitiveness to spur job creation. We'll break down interprovincial trade barriers with the help of the provinces and we will be working with them to increase standardization and mutual recognition of credentials. We'll introduce an admitted free act clarifying federal intention to provide modern context for the Supreme Court to consider. Canadians and Canadian businesses have money to invest but choose to save it, put it into real estate or invest abroad because even ourselves, we don't trust investing in our own country right now. So to get Canadians back to work and to attract investment, we will ensure a level playing field for Canadian businesses and real competition, make foreign tech companies pay their fair share of taxes, including sales tax and digital service tax of 3% of gross revenue, and we will give Canadian competition laws real teeth. Executives of companies that fix prices or abuse their positions should go to prison. Those that abuse power should be broken up. We will stand up to corporate Canada and reject mergers that substantially reduce competition and lead to layoffs and higher okay, prices. Okay, Kathy, thank you very much. <laughs> when this forum is over, Braden and I are embarking on what's called the No Microphone Needed Speaking Tour. <laughs> Thank you for switching out uh, the microphones there. That uh, is very helpful. Question number three. How will your government position Canadian agriculture as a global leader in the fight against climate change? First up is Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. The Green Party recognizes the huge economic engine that the agriculture and food sector is for the Canadian economy. It employs more than 2 million people. As a comparison, oil and gas uh, employs 500,000. Canada is the fifth largest agricultural exporter in the world. But the Green Party also recognizes there are serious threats to this sector. The agriculture sector is the third largest contributor to greenhouse gas emissions in Canada. Canada is the sixth 
largest importer and number one per capita food importer in the world. We bring in value-added foods you know, from other countries that could easily be produced here. Small farmers are being squeezed by larger operations who have been unfairly advantaged by federal government policies and are not supported adequately during lean years, <clears throat> leading to the loss of small family-owned mixed farms and local processing to industrial production systems based on crop monocultures and intensive livestock operations. And climate threats to production and yields are real, and the agriculture sector is the first to suffer. Farmers are leaders in innovative methods and technology and generally love the land and love the life. <clears throat> so making it economically easier for farmers to stay on their land doing what they love, feeding the world, while figuring out how to transition to a net zero carbon emission business is what the Green Party would like to do. So the Green Party would provide economic incentives to farmers who transition to low carbon methods. We would subsidize the retrofitting of homes and farm buildings with clean energy solutions, encourage and incentivize farmers to update their equipment to a lower carbon technology when possible, and we would provide help when needed to transition to soil regenerative practices and carbon capture methods of production. The Canadian agriculture sector is poised. Okay, thank you very much, Valerie. Question three, how will your government position Canadian agriculture as the leader in the fight against climate change? Denise Lauchs of the Maverick Party. First off, we know reforestation is a recognized way of carbon sequestration. The world organizations need to recognize carbon sequestration in agriculture soils as a viable means of storing carbon. As it stands now, we need to overcome obstacles, in particular, a more economic, technical, and efficient ways of measurement to determine the quantities of CO2 stored in the soil so that these tests will become recognized. Once it becomes agreed upon, then agriculture can move forward in being recognized as a valuable tool in the goals of carbon sequestration within the fight against climate change. You can find this information on the agriculture site in the Government of Canada's website that in the year 2000, for the first time in Canada's history, agriculture soils sequestered more carbon than was emitted. And at the current adoption rates of carbon sequestering agriculture practices in Canada, soil carbon accumulation can continue for at least until 2040. After this period, the continuance of sound farming practices that conserve the soil will maintain the sink rather than increase it. Once again, question number three, how will your government position Canadian agriculture as a global leader in the fight against climate change? Kathy Wagenthal of the Conservatives. We will introduce a renewable natural gas mandate. Capturing methane from organic sources such as farms reduces carbon emissions and creates a renewable source of energy. We'll put in place a minimum requirement of 15% renewable content in natural gas by 2030. That means the gas we use in our power plants, furnaces, and other gas appliances will have less impact on the environment, and the methane that's wasted from agriculture will be significantly reduced. We'll finalize and improve the clean fuel regulations, turning them into a true low-carbon fuel standard. 
standard by increasing the ability of the agriculture sector to create land-based offset credits by improving the carbon sequestration of agricultural lands and incentivizing environmental protection, allowing clean carbon-neutral biomass energy, including agricultural waste, to be eligible for carbon credits where appropriate, and recognizing existing legislation for land use and biodiversity and harmonizing provincial rules. We will also pilot the use of Canadian renewable fuels by the Canadian Armed Forces with the goal of stimulating an increase in the market for renewable fuel production in Canada. We'll invest an additional $3 billion between now and 2030 in natural climate solutions focused on management of crop and grazing lands and restoration of grasslands. We will also recognize and build on the world-leading sustainable practices of Canada's agriculture by recognizing and encouraging emission-reducing practices like low or no-till and for our nutrient stewardship. Establishing transparent and reliable standards for carbon credits associated with land management practices and working with the provinces, territories, and agricultural industries to identify and support ways in which agriculture can continue to enhance carbon sequestration. Thank you. How will your government position Canadian agriculture as a global leader in the fight against climate change? Braden Robertson of the People's Party. Uh, right on. So, I guess I got a quieter microphone. I'll have to speak up. How many, uh, are there any farmers in the room? Just uh, by show of hands. Anyone? Uh, so, this is probably the most ridiculous tone deaf question I've ever heard. It's like a university student from California wrote it, but I'll answer it anyway. Uh, here's a news flash for you farmers do not want to be leaders in the fight against climate change. Rather, farmers disable their deaf systems on their tractors, and farmers are furious that they pay tens of thousands of dollars because of the carbon tax. Might I remind everyone that plants feed off carbon dioxide, and more carbon dioxide means bigger crops for harvest. That's some biology for you. And by the way, farmers care about this planet more than anyone, and none of the farmers I know give a rip about climate change, myself included. Question number four. How will your government ensure that rural and remote communities have more access to 5G internet? How soon will your government undertake such initiatives? First up is Kathy Wagenthal, Conservative Party. Through Canada's recovery plan, we will make critical investments in infrastructure to create jobs and get the economy moving and meet our infrastructure needs. According to the Auditor General, approximately a fifth of the Liberal government's planned $188 billion in infrastructure spending was unspent in the first three years of the plan and was moved to later years. According to the Parliamentary Budget Officer, the Liberals Canada Infrastructure Bank is unlikely to meet its goal of spending $35 billion on new infrastructure within its 11-year mandate, forecasting a shortfall of $19 billion over that time frame. We will scrap that failed Canada Infrastructure Bank and commit the money sitting unused on its books to infrastructure projects that can strengthen our economy. Aaron O'Toole has stated as Prime Minister I'll end the delays and get the shovels in the ground on these major infrastructure projects to create jobs and improve the lives of millions of Canadians. We're going to build the world-class public transit, road and 5G networks our country needs to compete and get every part of Canada moving again. 
I personally attended a roundtable with Eastern European countries in the U.S. prior to COVID restrictions, where discussions were taking place over the concerns of China infiltration due to less expensive accessibility to Huawei 5G technology versus uh, Western options. Canada's 5i allies and some of their largest companies have banned Huawei from being used in critical core components of their telecom networks. The Liberal government has not. We will stand with our allies. Our plan includes holding the big telecom service providers accountable for anti-competitive behavior. We will promote competition by allowing foreign telecommunication companies to provide service to Canadian customers if the same is reciprocated for Canadian companies in that company's country. We'll connect all of Canada to high-speed internet by 2025, promote investment by local and regional communities and businesses. Thank you. How will your government ensure that rural and remote communities will have more access to 5G internet? And how soon will your government undertake such initiatives? Braden Robertson, People's Party. Okay, so we will not undertake such initiatives at all. Two reasons. Reason number one, it is not the federal government's job to provide you with internet. It is the government's job to protect your rights and freedoms. The government needs to be less involved in your life. Do you really want the government to control social media and be the ones who control your internet? The private sector can provide you with internet to anyone if it is profitable for them to do so. Reason number two, the government cannot afford to take on projects like this even if it wanted to. Like I said before, our government is on the edge of bankruptcy if interest rates went up just a hair. It, it could be a bad situation. That means no more spending. That means no more handouts, no more funding on abortions in third world countries. And of course, we need to defund the CBC, state-run media guys. We need to reverse the insane spending from Justin Trudeau and pay off debts. Otherwise, our grandchildren will still be paying for it. How will your government ensure rural and remote communities have more access to 5G Internet? And how soon would your government undertake such initiatives? Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. So the Green Party has long advocated for better connection and Internet service to rural communities. And now due to the pandemic, we've seen just how important this really is. During this pandemic, there has been obvious disadvantages to people in rural areas and we feel in this day and age, good quality internet access is a human right. A green government will build up broadband infrastructure in rural areas to help revitalize rural economies and give communities greater access to the services they need and depend on. We would continue to support the Universal Broadband Fund and retain that funding with an additional $150 million annually over four years to reach communities at the lowest end of the eligibility spectrum. <clears throat> we would break up telecom monopolies through changes to the CRTC regulation to allow for more equitable treatment of rural consumers and to ensure long-term predictability for rural and northern communities Greens support the Federation of Canadian Municipalities' request for at least $250 million annually in dedicated infrastructure funding starting in 2028-29. Thank you. How will your government ensure rural and remote communities have more... Um, this is Denise Lopes of the Maverick Party. 
Having access to affordable and high-speed Internet is not just a luxury. It is a vital tool in our move towards a connected society. For jobs, education, health, and contact, it has now become so much more than it once was. Here, the provincial government's Wireless Saskatchewan initiative is working at getting better access to those in the rural areas, and we would be more than happy to pursue the federal government so that the provincial government would be able to reach their goals sooner. The fifth and final question crafted by the Chamber is, will your government continue to implement a carbon tax or levy on Canadian taxpayers? Why or why not? And Valerie Brooks of the Green Party is up first. So first of all, the Green Party believes the current Liberal carbon tax is only lip service to climate action and is more of a punitive tax and a very weak first step toward real solutions to incentivize people and businesses to reduce their carbon use. It's not enough to just implement a tax. It needs to be a conjunctive effort covering all sectors at once and done in a fair and equitable way. Incentivizing people to transition to an alternate low or or zero carbon technology. Our system of a carbon fee and dividend model would make all emitters, large and small, across the country pay the same fee on fossil fuels at the source and all revenue from the carbon fee would go directly back to Canadian households on an equal basis. So combine this with subsidies to buy clean energy alternatives and you've now made it possible for people to make a real difference in the amount of carbon they use in a very short period of time. A 2018 study commissioned by Clean Prosperity showed that the vast majority of households, regardless of income level, would receive more money in the form of carbon dividend checks than they would pay in carbon taxes. Carbon pricing is widely considered the most efficient way to quickly reduce carbon emissions because it is market-based and removes well-known distortions in market signals. People become much more motivated to make different choices. Thank you. Will your government continue to implement a carbon tax or levy on Canadian taxpayers? Why or why not? Denise Lokes of the Maverick. The Maverick Party believes that the carbon tax does nothing to improve the greenhouse gas emissions. And as we know now, that the emissions have been increasing after its implementation. Only green incentives for companies to actively decrease their carbon footprint will help to bring about the changes needed. Instead of subsidies for companies, we want environmental incentives introduced for businesses to reduce their carbon footprint of their operations. Just take a look at what one company has set in motion to work with others. Nutrien has unveiled a portfolio approach to a carbon program in which with working with other partners and supply chain stakeholders across Canada and the U.S., which includes American Farmland Trust, Corteva AgriScience, Ingredion, Maple Leaf Foods, PepsiCo, and Syngenta. And Syngenta itself plans to reduce their carbon output of their operations by 50%. Federal government needs to be there as a tool to help their Canadian businesses take the necessary steps to make the goals that are needed to be met. Will your government continue to implement a carbon tax or levy on Canadian taxpayers? Why or why not? Kathy Wagenthal of the Conservatives. 
We will repeal the carbon tax. Saskatchewan agriculture, resource, and manufacturing sectors are already world leaders on environmental practices and continue to innovate. Our oil and gas industries are committed to net zero as world leaders in quality and environmental and ethical standards, even as investors are demanding lower emissions before investing. We are committed to doing the right thing for the right reasons, motivated by our love for the outdoors and dependence on our environment for our lives and our livelihood. The Supreme Court of Canada decision eroded the right of our province to manage our own decisions on the best ways to protect our environment while growing our clean green economy. Our leader and all SAS Conservative MPs recognize the right of the province to chart its course. Our Conservative environmental plan supports provincial jurisdiction, incentivizes innovation, champions our long history of conservation, recognizes our state-of-the-art research and continued growth in environmental efficiencies. Canadians, especially young voters, want to participate in providing their individual carbon footprints, sorry, in improving. The personal low carbon savings account ensures everyone can do their part in the way that works best for them at a carbon price that is set, affordable, and no GST applied. Why do this? Because young Canadian voters want to participate in improving their personal carbon footprint. They like our plan. The carbon levy goes immediately into their personal savings account and can then be used to make purchases within a plethora of green choice options which improve their environmental footprint while also meeting a personal need. It won't burden low-income Canadians. It'll protect farmers with affordable options. Businesses that aren't supported, that aren't subject to the output-based pricing system but buy fuel will have an account as well that enables them to invest in their business with their own money rather than lose earnings to high federal taxes. Conservatives recognize that we in Saskatchewan are good stewards of the environment and are motivated by incentives and fairness, not fear-mongering, and a punitive carbon tax compounded by GST. Will your government continue to implement a carbon tax or levy on Canadian taxpayers? Why or why not? Braden Robertson of the People's Party. I wonder if you guys can guess my stance on this. Um, so obviously we denounce any carbon tax or levy. It disproportionately hurts our farmers and business owners. And just like income tax doesn't stop you from earning income, carbon tax doesn't stop carbon emissions. It's just another way to take your money. Um, I would just like to mention something from what Kathy said. I'm just... When I look at page 76 of the conservative platform, quote, we will assess progress after two years and be prepared to set industrial carbon prices on a path to $170 a ton by 2030. So currently they're at $40 a ton. It's industrial, sir. Fair, fair enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have read your platform just you now. Just find that very interesting. We would not have any carbon tax whatsoever. <laughs> So we'll move into the questions from the audience um, portion of the program. If you, there, there's a lot of questions here, which I think shows how engaged everybody is in this particular um, election. So we're not going to have time to get to all of them. I will pick some at random. So this first question. For years, the business community has complained about the complexity of the Canadian tax system. What will your government do to simplify the tax system? When can we expect that process to begin? How long will it take? Braden Robertson of the People's Party. Just got to remember the numbers from my brochure. So zero 
You know what? Be right back. Sorry, guys. I was a delivery driver 15, uh, five weeks ago. Not a, not a politician. Okay, so just, uh, just one, uh, one moment here. So zero to fifteen thousand dollars would be uh, zero income tax, which is more or less what it is right now. Fifteen thousand to a hundred thousand would be fifteen percent. I do believe not written on here at all and then anything over a hundred thousand would be the same tax bracket so basically we would have three tax brackets I know that there are people who make forty thousand dollars a year that are not incentivized to get a better paying job let's say at the mine for ninety thousand dollars a year because you just pay more taxes with our plan fifteen thousand to a hundred thousand would be all the same tax rate so you're incentivized to get that good paying job at the mine or at the rigs that pay $100,000 a year. Next up is Kathy Wagenthal. I'll repeat the question. The complexity of the Canadian tax system. What will your government do to simplify the system? When can we expect the process to begin and when would it be complete? So there's no question that our tax system is way overcomplicated and very difficult for the average Canadian to deal with. And that's why we have committed already to getting uh, a full review by the individuals who are the professionals to deal with those particular issues and to provide the, the simplicity that we need within Canada in fairness to all of our small businesses and to ordinary everyday Canadians as well as those who are low income. I would say first of all that the, I know uh, the individual that I would turn to that we would all turn to uh, within our Conservative Party is our wonderful Pierre Polyever who is uh, so passionate about this issue and I'm very proud to be on the same team as he is. Question is with regards to the complexity of the Canadian tax system, what will your government do to simplify the system? When would the process begin? When would it be complete? Uh, Denise Lokes of the Maverick Party. As we move into our own area of Western representation for under our fairness and freedom, Maverick Party supports greater provincial autonomy in critical areas such as taxation, pensions, immigration, and policing. And therefore, we want to move the taxation away from the federal government and in, under the provincial government's purview, and it would be under their area of jurisdiction then. of the Canadian tax system, what will your government do to simplify it? When would it begin? When would it be complete? Uh, Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. So in a green economy, everyone contributes their fair share to the collective well-being. So today, the growing gap between rich and poor indicates that something's wrong and the burden of taxation is not fairly distributed. So green policy focus on re focuses on reestablishing this fairness by closing loopholes that benefit only the wealthy, ending off offshore tax dodging, and increasing tax for large multinational corporations like banks and tech giants who do not currently pay their fair share. We will end fossil fuel subsidies that prop up an unsustainable industry. We will protect individuals and small businesses, keeping small business taxes the same and diverting CRA focus away from unnecessary audits of individuals. 
So these choices go hand in hand with consumer protection. We will enact regulations that prevent big corporations from exploiting individuals and give consumers greater control over their repair of their own goods, so the right to repair law. So fairness, establishing a federal tax commission to analyze the system for fairness based on the principle of progressive taxation. Closing loopholes, eliminating stock option and capital gains loopholes which disproportionately benefit the wealthy, eliminate corporate meals and expense deduction, close foreign internet advertising loopholes for Canadian businesses, advertising on foreign websites and offshore tax dodging, like I've already said. Increase tax, apply a corporate tax on transnational e-commerce companies doing business in Canada, like Netflix, Google, Airbnb. Impose a financial transactions tax of 0.2% in finance sector. Increase federal corporate tax rate from 15 to 21% in line with federal rate in US. Charge a 5% surtax on commercial bank profits. Okay, thank you, Valerie. Audience question number two. Australia, the United States, and the United Kingdom have announced a new trilateral security alliance in an apparent attempt to counter China. How should Canadians feel knowing that our country isn't trusted to be included in this group? Answering first is Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. Can you repeat it, please? I didn't quite get it all. Um... Australia, the United States, and the United Kingdom have announced a new trilateral security alliance in an apparent attempt to counter China. How should Canadians feel knowing that our country has been left out of this agreement? A trilateral security alliance to combat China. Is that what, is that what this is? Combat China what? Yes, to counter China. To counter China's power? To counter China's... Uh, Dominance in the world? What, what, I just need clarification on this question. I'm struggling. It's, it's a security pact. All, all of that? It's a yes. Okay. And so how do we feel that we're left out of this? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Simple answer. Yeah. I, I, I honestly don't know. And I'm, I'm not going to uh, try to lie my way through this one. So. You want me to repeat it, Kathy? Sure. Okay, so Australia, the United States, and the United Kingdom have announced a new trilateral security alliance in an apparent attempt to counter China. How should Canadians feel knowing that our country isn't trusted to be included in this group? How do we feel that Canada was not included in this agreement? I'm not surprised in light of the circumstances that our country is in right now and the kind of leadership that we have. Uh, our leader, Aaron O'Toole, has been in communications already with these countries and uh, with New Zealand as well. We need to get back to being a member of the Five Eyes and be allies with our allies and take a strong stand against China. Remove Trudeau, put us in power, and that will happen. Braden? Yeah, so I'm not surprised at all that Canada is left out. Uh, I just wrote, who wants to bring a corrupt drama teacher with a spending habit to that party? 
The liberals are not in the room, so, well, not up here, so. Can you repeat it? Um, I think, is this to do with the not funny? Yes. Okay. Then okay. So Denise, I didn't know about this, so uh, go ahead. Well, the reason why Canada isn't included is because they're using submarines to watch China, and we don't have those nuclear-powered submarines. So that's why we're not included in this. Do you want to answer again, Valerie? Like, does it make a... No. Okay. I just no. wanted to... I don't know if I clarified it better <laughs> before I asked Kathy. Okay. You, did, you did clarify it okay. better, but okay. it's okay. okay. But we're able to track them. Let's just make that note. Audience question number three. I'm going to combine it because they're kind of related, and there's a lot of pandemic-related questions. So I'm going to... These ones are very to the point, so I'm going to try and, and combine these two as one. What is your position on the mandatory vaccination of children under 12? And what are your thoughts on using therapeutics for this virus? And first up is Braden Robertson of the People's Party. Yeah, the People's Party at a, at a national level opposes all vaccine passports, mandatory vaccines, COVID restrictions of any kind. I know, I know that there are parties where their candidates can make those, their, those own decisions for themselves, uh, but we are the only party that it is unanimous as a PPC. Our entire party is against mandatory vaccines and vaccine passports. Kathy, your position on the mandatory vaccination of children under 12 and also your thoughts on using therapeutics for the virus. All right. Um, our party is completely against mandatory vaccinations. Every Canadian has a charter right to determine their own health care and to uh, keep that information private if they so choose. The circumstances that this country finds itself in right now is very frustrating uh, to me and to our party. We do not agree with mandatory vaccines. We do not agree with mandatory passports. You have a right to travel within your country. So our country is facing, like I said in my opening statement, a significant crossroads. As far as children go, there is no way that children under the age of 12 who barely uh, show up on the radar with this disease should be vaccinated. They, of all people, should be res uh, basically responding with their natural immunity. And I do not agree with vaccinating children under 12. I know of individuals who are much older than that that have reacted very negatively to the vaccine. Not everybody does. But this country should be studying and following everyone who is having a reaction to those vaccines and taking that into account. And we should be using Canadian vaccines, which are very close to being in production. Medicago is a plant-based at Avito at our own University of Saskatchewan. We have a traditional vaccine on the way, but this prime minister refused to fund them and went to China to get our vaccine before being basically put third on the list for the vaccines that UK has paid $2 for per vial, the US has paid $4 for, and we as Canadians are paying $8 per vial. Think of what we could have done within our own country to bring a vaccine about that Canadians would trust. of the Maverick Party, your thoughts on mandatory vaccination of children under 12, as well as the use of therapeutics to treat the virus. 
I'm with Kathy on this totally. I do not believe that children should be mandatorily vaccinated, especially under the age of 12. They don't even have the tests yet finished on whether it's even safe for children. So I will leave that. And therapeutics, I have no um, thought on that area myself because as far as I know, the doctors aren't even prescribing anything in those areas for people to use. Protect your immune system. And Valerie Brooks of the Green Party, your thoughts on mandatory vaccination of children under 12 as well as the use of therapeutics to treat the virus. The Green Party does also doesn't uh, uh, buy into mandatory uh, vaccinations. We uh, we also realize that there are large segments of our population who, uh, for whatever reason, can't get vaccinated, don't want to get vaccinated, have an aversion to any type of medical um, vaccinations being imposed on them for whatever reason. So we are, uh, we stand with my colleagues on the stage here in that regard. Um, and therapeutics uh, to treat uh, the virus, I, uh, I, d I don't think that I really have an answer on that one either, sorry. Okay. Audience question number four. Poultry and dairy products have risen disproportionately more than any other food during the last two years. Will your government abolish, not my words, Soviet-style management in the dairy and poultry sector and allow for lower prices based on supply and demand? First up is Kathy Wagenthal from the Conservatives. No. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I turned my mic off. Braden from the People's Party. Can you read repeat that? Poultry and dairy products have risen disproportionately more than any other food during the last two years. Will your government abolish Soviet-style management in the dairy and poultry sector and allow for lower prices based on supply and demand? Absolutely. We basically run on that platform from 2019 when the party was founded. Maxine lost his seat. Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. Can I get clarification on the, will your party, the rest of that? Uh, yeah, I'll just rephrase I'll just rephrase uh, the question. Poultry and dairy products have risen disproportionately more than any other food during the last two years. Will your government abolish Soviet-style management in the dairy and poultry sector and allow for lower prices based on supply and demand? Honestly, I'm not sure about this one, but I, I'm, I'm thinking I'm with uh, Kathy on this one. And uh, I just don't really quite understand this fully enough to answer. Um, but I'm pretty sure that questions. Yeah. So, no. Sorry. That's, that's okay. Um, Denise. Do you want me to rephrase it? Well... Were you saying that the supply and demand, like the demand goes up or the price the, goes up? The question is, is I'll just rephrase the whole thing, because I don't think I can rephrase it 
simpli- more simplistic. Poultry and dairy products have risen disproportionately more than any other food during the last two years. Will your government abolish Soviet-style management in the dairy and poultry sector and allow for lower prices based on supply and demand? No, the, I would leave it the way we have it right now. The market setup is good for the dairy and the uh, poultry producers. Okay. Forgive me as I delay. I'm just kind of reading through some of these. Some of them are good. Some of them I unfortunately will not read. Um, no, you don't want me to read some of them. So I said make up one. Oh, make up one. That's your own question. I could. How will your government ensure temporary foreign workers are available to ensure regions facing chronic labor shortages are addressed? And first up on this would be Denise from the Maverick Party. Immigration is kept. I think we're doing a good job in what we're, how we're bringing in people already to help the other farm workers out. So I would leave it as how it is. Okay. Uh, Kathy Wagenthal, do you want me to rephrase the question for you? Uh, no, I think that's okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the foreign worker program has had a lot of issues over time and does need a lot of work. The truth of the matter is uh, our agriculture industry and a lot of different areas like that, they need foreign workers. There are not people in our own country who want to work in this field. And there are all kinds of people around the world who are gifted and talented at doing this and would love a better life. So uh, we need to improve the way that we do that. That's one of our commitments to make it far easier for them to come to Canada uh, as specific workers for a specific purpose, but also uh, to also um, not bring them in just temporarily and then they have to go back home and then come again. Uh, We are going to work towards making them permanent residents so that they have the opportunity to serve and to work in the field that they love year after year and become part of the fabric of Canada. Robertson of the People's Party, how will your government ensure temporary foreign workers are available to ensure regions that face chronic labor shortages are addressed? Yeah, so uh, People's Party would cut back on immigration quite a bit. Our goal is around 150,000 immigrants a year, and of course we want skilled immigrants to come to our country. Uh, Another main issue I mentioned before is doing away with the CRB, which incentivizes Canadians to stay at home and not be at work. And finally, Valerie Brooks, how will your government ensure temporary foreign workers are available to regions that face chronic labor shortages and to see them addressed? All right. uh, The Green Party's would like to review the immigration policy to better align with our demographic needs and to ensure a fair system and smooth transition for newcomers. And we'd actually like to eliminate the temporary foreign workers program and instead address labor shortages by increasing immigration and working with employers to establish paths to permanent residency. Uh, 
So establishing a program for people in Canada without status to get permanent residency for those who qualify. Um, so currently there's like over 40,000 protected persons and their dependents residing in Canada with open permanent resident applications. Uh, in 2021, almost 17,900 protected persons became permanent residents. So we have a lot of people that are already here that we could be putting to work. And uh, I don't think we need the temporary foreign workers program anymore at all. Yeah. Audience question number six in regards to transfer payments. What is your party's view on them? With the current government not in support of oil and gas, where is this money going to come from to replace these payments? And if an agreement uh, with the principle of the transfer payments, would you revisit the formula used to calculate them? We'll start with Valerie Brooks from the Green Party. Can you repeat it? I'm, I can repeat that. I'm having trouble. I will try and sim- I'll try and simplify it. So with regards to transfer payments, um, Anybody from Quebec here? No? So for people from the West, I think we call it payments, equalization payments that go to the have-not provinces. The big bone of contention is obviously with Quebec, which gets a lot of money from Alberta, but is also not supportive of the oil and gas industry. So the question would be, um, with the current government not in support of oil and gas, where is the money going to come from to replace this um, these payments? Well, I think the Green Policy or the Green Party has a pretty good um, idea of how to relook at the tax revenues and, and income that the country has and redistribute it appropriately to cover some of these things that we want to do. But I mean, of course, this question is based on what are the priorities of the government or what are the programs that are going to be implemented. So. Um, it's like a, it's not a real easy question to answer in terms of exactly what we would do. But um, I know that our, our uh, shadow cabinet has, you know, a really good costed out plan to, to, to supplement people in all areas of Canada, no matter if you live in a city or if you live in a small rural village. Um, the the money would be there for you to use wherever you live. Um, so transfer payments to provinces, like I said earlier, would be distributed in a different manner under a green government than it currently is under the governments we have now. So I don't know Did, if that answered the question or not, but <laughs> I tried. Okay. Uh, Denise, would you like me to rephrase that for you? This is with regards to transfer payments. You're good? Okay. Yeah, I think you meant equalization. Transfer of the taxes. <laughs> uh, equalization needs to be changed, to be fair. Even in 2018 to 2019, Alberta had a deficit and Quebec had a surplus. And Alberta still got nothing in regards to equalization. So in 2019, all the provincial premiers agreed that there should be a one-time payment to Alberta. And the federal government response was to do nothing. So if the federal government is willing to treat Alberta like that, they're willing to treat us like that, and we need to have the equalization changed definitely. There's another reason as to why we need more independence in the West, and there is no balance as to how the power structure is in between the federal and provincial governments. Kathy Wagadol from the Conservative Party. Do you need me to rephrase the question? No, I'm no. fine. Okay. I'm fine, thank you. 
Yes, so absolutely, uh, we need to bring fairness back and even improve it for the Equalization Program. And we will adopt the Equalization and Transfer Fairness Act as a government bill. Uh, it will add complete transparency to this process. And as uh, already mentioned in 2019, all of Canada's premiers unanimously endorsed a proposal to reform the Fiscal Stabilization Program. And we will implement those changes when we form government and ensure that provinces like Alberta and Saskatchewan receive retroactive compensation. We've committed already to returning $4 billion to Alberta, and our portion in Saskatchewan is $150 million. So there's no question that there's a problem here. The biggest problem is named, uh, I almost said Pierre. <laughs> well, that one too. Justin Trudeau, who when he brought in his first huge omnibus bill with his very first budget that he actually submitted to the House of Commons the way he should have, it was so huge um, that... And the NDP, who didn't want to campaign because they couldn't afford it, and the Bloc, who just loves sitting in there as independents that don't even show up until after we sing O Canada, voted with them to move that budget through so fast there was no way to get through everything in there. And they allowed the equalization program to stay the way it was for the next five years, and that is because of Prime Minister Trudeau and his love for Quebec. And as a result, the West lost out the problem is Justin Trudeau. Braden Robertson, the question uh, surrounds uh, equalization and where is the money going to come from to replace these payments with uh, no support of the oil and gas sector? Yeah, I absolutely agree with Kathy on this one. We need to renegotiate equalization. Um, Quebec receives, I think it's about $13 billion out of $20 billion total. So they... Uh, they take a pretty big piece of the pie when it comes to equalization transfers. And like I said before, uh, the People's Party is the only party that would use 9210 of the Constitution to force pipelines, and that includes forcing it through Quebec. Audience question number seven. What will your government do to support reconciliation with Indigenous peoples, and what do you consider reconciliation to be? Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. Thank you. I love this question. Thank you for asking it, whoever asked. Um, as you know, I've done a master's degree on treaty education and reconciliation, so I'm no means a, a, an expert in this topic, but it is near and dear to my heart. Um, yesterday was uh, the anniversary of signing of Treaty 4, the land that we currently uh, are on. And um, if, uh, if we knew the history of treaty signing better, where Indigenous people agreed to share this land with us so we could own land, farm land, live here. Um, and then if we understood the Indian Act and the assimilation policies that came in under the Indian Act that completely disregarded and eroded that treaty relationship to the point where um, we now have systemic racism and rampant um, underrepresentation of Indigenous people in in uh, meaningful roles like leadership roles. Uh, we have disproportionate 
uh, indigenous people in our jails and, and we need to understand that reconciliation means people like me that grew up privileged on a farm understanding more about the history of what happened so that we no longer make these mistakes. So knowing the the history in a in a meaningful way will absolutely change our relationship with indigenous people. Um, and I think that it, it starts with us understanding. What will your government do to support reconciliation with our indigenous peoples and what does reconciliation mean to you, Kathy Wagenthal of the Conservative Party? Thank you. Uh, our, our party is completely committed to recognizing uh, Indigenous uh, treaty rights and working together. I, uh, I have to say this has been one of the most gratifying uh, areas of my role in getting to know uh, the people of our First Nations in this area. Today I had the opportunity to meet uh, with the Yorkton Tribal Council and have a meeting and discuss a number of things that we could do together. And what, what I was so thrilled to hear is, is that they said, you know, this is a two-way street. And we're doing things in Yorkton and in the surrounding area to contribute to uh, the productivity and, and uh, the input of our funds into our community of Yorkton and areas. Uh, I, I was so thrilled then that they said, hey, let's all go for lunch. And we got to sit and talk more about things that we can do together to make a difference so that these chasms that are there, and they're really there, uh, can be dealt with. So it was just a really encouraging experience for me today to, to get together again and to be invited to things like powwows. Uh, I went to one of the schools on Cote Reserve. They asked for some stuff about Canada. And I said, well, why, I won't just send it. Can I come? And I got to sit there and talk with the kids about Canada and how they could sign up to go to Ottawa and experience it. And the, the parents are all writing it down. And, you know, the chief said to me, this is the first time that we've ever had a member come here and do this. And I said, well, please invite me to everything you possibly can. And I told the kids, I think I should have done something when I came here today. Uh, and they said, well, yeah, it would have been good to bring, you know, some tobacco. To... And I said, well, how do I know who an elder is? And they were awesome because, you know what, we just have to say I have a lot to learn. And uh, there's a wonderful opportunity there to build relationships. What will your government do to support reconciliation with our Indigenous peoples and what does reconciliation mean to you? Braden Robertson of the People's Party. Yeah, so great question. Uh, in my opinion, reconciliation is not going to happen by throwing more money at it uh, and we don't have the money to spend as a government anyway. Like I mentioned before, we've already been spending so much as a government and we have a lot of debt to clean up. And I have a lot of unpopular opinions on this topic, and uh, I, it's probably best I just leave it at that. Denise, need me to rephrase a question? No. Okay. Reconciliation, what it means to me is getting back to honoring the treaties, letting the First Nations have the voice and for us to listen to them. 
It was really good to see when the federal government was taking the steps and giving back to the Cowessess First Nation the power to be able to effectively make their own decisions about what is best for their children, families, and communities. And it's just the beginning, as the federal government is being held accountable to work towards fixing the broken steps in between us. We've got uh, time for one more audience question, and um, it is pandemic-related. What will your government do for people who are not double-vaxxed but lose their jobs because they decline a vaccination that all of you, I believe, yeah, all of you have said you do not support mandatory vaccination. So what would your party do to those who lose their jobs who decline the vaccination? Starting with Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. Oh, I thought I was third on this one. That's okay. I'll go first. Oh. I think. Yes, no, you're, you're right. I'm sorry. Question eight okay. starts with, uh, I got to flip the page. It's a new page. So it's Kathy Wagenthal answers first. I'm, my apologies. No problem. I'm pleased to answer this question. I am so concerned about what's happening right now. I have people who are, I mean, they can't even look at the amazing thing of getting child benefits in the seventh month of pregnancy because they're they're so apprehensive about the fact that they're going to lose their job unless they do what they're being forced to do. So um, my perspective on this is we do not agree with mandatory vaccines. Uh, The Prime Minister shoved that down to the provinces who then gave it to the businesses and the schools to make these decisions. So uh, what I'm saying is uh, from what I'm hearing, the the request or the ultimatum uh, will be determined by November 1st. The election is on September 20th. Let's get this guy out and let's get our country back. Uh, Braden Robertson, I can rephrase a question if you need. Yeah, read it again, please. Uh, for those that uh, decline to be double vaccinated and lose their jobs, what would your party do to help those people? Uh, well, on top of what I mentioned before, with if I were to be elected, 20000 of my own personal money towards people fighting uh, court cases over this silliness. Uh, we need to be fighting this at a local level to the best of our abilities. We cannot stand for this. It's unbelievable that the government is trying to force this down our throats. I don't think anybody wants this. Well, some people do. But I I was against uh, mandatory vaccines before it was cool. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Uh, Valerie Brooks from the Green Party. So I just want to go on record as saying this really shouldn't be a political issue, I don't think. And um, companies, so my husband works for CN, and CN is mandating their employees to be vaccinated. It's been a huge, you know, controversial issue uh, with the members of of CN. Um, And it's not a government... It's not a government thing. CN is mandating this, not the government. So for us to, you know, step in and say, you know, well, we're going to do this because CN's doing this to their workers, um, I don't think it's our place to do that. In fact, I was watching a, a show uh, with a lawyer, a personal 
liability lawyer and a professor from McGill Law School. And they were starting to talk about the possibility of people being sued if they knowingly uh, spread COVID and, you know, someone gets sick or dies from COVID. So they were talking about the fact that this could become a reality in the court system because of personal, like, corporations and people um, making the choice outside of government mandating it to mandate vaccinations for their employers or for their students. So because the public is bringing this forward as something that's important to them, it could lead down the road to uh, in favor of the court case, you know, going through and, and someone who didn't get vaccinated but went to work knowingly sick and infected somebody else. So what I'm getting at in a long-winded thing, and I've got 15 seconds left, is this isn't political. This isn't a government this issue. And it needs to be thought out by uh, people better. Okay. Thank you, Valerie. And Denise Louts of the Maverick Party. Job security should not be an issue in this area. And I don't think anyone should be losing their jobs for any of these reasons. Um, you cannot make someone, you cannot take a job away from someone if they have a diff, an, another illness. Say if someone was HIV positive and it's been exactly. proven and people are protected that way. So there is no reason why a person should lose their job in those regards. And that's not something I totally agree with. I do have some other questions that I can ask. If The Rock is perfectly fine staying on the air, I think you're good until 9.30. You folks don't mind answering more questions? It's all good? It's all good. It's all good. Okay. I'm going to try... I'm going to... I'm going to try and combine this next one. There's like three cards or four cards here, and I'm going to try to combine it. Um, I'm going to start with what is it about your party's leader that you admire the most and why? Once you answer that, is there the flip side deal breaker where your loyalty to your party um, would no longer exist? And I'm going to let Kathy go first because I've received um, more than one card, actually, with this question on it. So I, I feel like I should ask Kathy, could you restate your mandatory vaccine passport answer? And is that your opinion or Mr. O'Toole's opinion? Great question. Thank you. I am so pleased to answer this one. I would love more than two minutes. You only get two. All right. My leader is the one that has led on saying that we are against mandatory vaccines. If any of you spend any time on my Facebook, you will see videos where I explain that thoroughly. And there are opportunities to click on articles that where they actually choose to videotape my leader. And people like Mercedes of West Block asks him, if you want 90% of Canadians vaccinated, then how can you be against mandatory vaccines? Please, people, get real and get the truth. Our party, our leader, I am against mandatory vaccines. It is your charter right in this country to decide on your own health treatments. 
and to keep them private if you so choose. And like I said at the beginning, this country is at a crossroads. And I am sorry, just as the CSSA said, I thought we might get one on firearms, but we didn't. That's unfortunate. Um, the truth of the matter is that the Liberals will stay in power unless the Conservatives form government. Every gun piece that we want in place is legislation, and we have to form government. And they said clearly, the Mavericks or the PPC, if you split votes, we will not form government, and you will have no freedom going forward. You keep Trudeau in there, and that's what you've got. We are against mandatory vaccines. Did I say that? Yep. I'll let Valerie go next. Uh, do you want me to rephrase the question? The, 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 it's two-parted. I was trying to piece together more than one question to fit it into one. I was cheating. It's the leader one. Right? It's the leader one. So what do you admire most about your leader? And then the flip side of that, is there anything that would call into question that you would say, okay, I'm not loyal to this party anymore? Okay. So as everyone knows, uh, the Green Party started this election with a little bit of a blow. Um, and um, that's unfortunate because... Um, I really admire Annamie Paul, our leader, uh, in, in a lot of ways. She is a, um, a wonderful example of our core values because she came through that controversy and never wavered in terms of our core values. So she's not um, displaying animosity to anybody in our party. She's not displaying uh, animosity to anybody that's, you know, talking smack about her or our party. And I think that is what makes the Green Party such a good home for me is because um, I just feel like those core values that I mentioned at the beginning um, guide everything we do. And as Greens, we're allowed to stick to those core values and not be, you know, told that we have to do things differently. So um, as long as that continues in the Green Party, there's no other party I'd rather run for. And I think that I will be loyal to the Green Party until such time that it no longer follows those those core values and, and beliefs. So does that answer the question? I, yeah. Thank you. I'm going to tell the joke anyway. When you said, does that answer? If you'd answered the question by saying something about Steve and Harper, I'd have said no. <laughs> uh, Braden, do you need me to rephrase the question? No, go ahead. Okay, so it would be boldness for Maxime Bernier. He was traveling coast to coast all throughout 2020 and 2021, speaking out against medical tyranny, uh, again, before it was cool to do so to the point where in Manitoba he was arrested for violating uh, their ridiculous public health orders. Just yesterday, Maxime had a crowd of around 55,000 people. So yes, actually it is possible for us to form government. Vote your conscience, guys. Uh, Denise Lokes of the Maverick Party. Okay. Jay, Jay Hill is a great leader, and he's given me sage advice and taken the time to talk with me as an individual and as a candidate. For the years, he was a reform MP, and then he joined under the Conservatives 
under Stephen Harper. <laughs> but he was an MP for 18 years. And as an MP, from his experience, from being with the Reform Party and then being with the Conservatives, he realized that's when they lost their voice. And he said, we would never run candidates east of Manitoba. So the only thing I have to say is if they ever run candidates east of Manitoba, then I, that would be my end point with the party. It's kind of funny that Kathy said, I'm surprised there's not a gun control question. <laughs> there is. I'm not going to go back through the card to find it. I'll just sort of simplify it. We'll start with uh, Denise. Your thoughts on the current gun control legislation and, if necessary, what would you do to change it? Oh, I would repeal it. That's ridiculous. There is no such thing as any of those things being assault weapons at all. Let's go to Valerie with the Green Party. Okay. <clears throat> this one I have a, an answer for. Um, so we believe in a balance between the rights of law-abiding gun owners and the right of every Canadian to live in safety without fear of being a victim of gun violence. Um, we respect the legitimate ownership and use of firearms by hunters and farmers, of course, and um, we would seek to provide increased support for integrated border enforcement teams um, made up of officers from the RCMP and the Canada Border uh, Services, U.S. Customs, U.S. Coast Guard in their gathering of intelligence and arresting of gun smugglers. Uh, we put strict measures in place for those who attempt to cross the Canada-U.S. border with illegal firearms, uh, ensure that gun smuggling is prosecuted as a gun crime of the highest order rather than as only a customs violation. Because it's not you guys. It's not the legitimate gun you know, carriers and, and all that stuff. It's it's the smugglers and the gangs that are causing these issues. So um, ensure that gun crime charges are not dropped to facilitate convictions on lesser charges. Review the registry for restricted firearms in consultation with gun clubs, hunter organizations, and First Nations. Um, we will ensure that law-abiding citizens do not have their firearms unreasonably confiscated. And work with target shooting organizations to establish safe and protected locations where target shooting can be practiced. We understand, you know, I have a brother that's a farmer. He's got guns. Uh, you know, I understand. And uh, But we just have to find a balance. And that's what the Green Party is all about in everything we do is finding that balance to protect your, your uh, rights, uh, but also be responsible for others' safety. Braden Robertson of the People's Party. Yeah, so I would absolutely repeal the gun ban, uh, record speed. I myself am a legal gun owner, and I want to say thank you to gun owners for being law-abiding citizens. I know you don't hear that very often, but good for you for uh, everything you do. And I would also just like to mention that immediately after Aaron O'Toole reversed his position on reversing the gun ban, Gary Breitreis endorsed my campaign. You're the only one left to answer. Okay. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mike. Okay, so 
The decision has been made to conduct a transparent review of the firearms classification process to take the politics out of this process and engage the public in decisions with respect to public safety before responding to the OIC, the Order in Council. That was the decision of my leader. The review will be nonpartisan and will focus on the capabilities of the firearm and not on how it looks. Hope I don't have to repeat that. I think you heard it. So obviously there were a lot of law-abiding firearms owners who were disappointed. Uh, I'm proud of my leader for changing his mind and for making it clear on why he changed his mind. And this is the response of the CSSA, of which Gary Breitkreitz is a, a member and a member of the board. As frustrated as we are with this development, does not change the fundamental facts of this election. Neither the People's Party nor the Maverick Party has any chance of forming government. We've been the whipping boys of the left for the last 25 years. The fact that we're lawful Canadians that abide by their constantly changing rules is totally irrelevant. For whatever reason, the 2.2 million licensed Canadian firearms owners are truly hated by the left, and we can expect more abuse. On September 21st, one of two men will be sitting in the Prime Minister's chair. It'll be Justin Trudeau. If it's Justin Trudeau, we're screwed. He already promised a billion to confiscate our handguns during this campaign. He'll do worse if he's re-elected. If it's Aaron O'Toole, we potentially have a state of execution. Every item in the Conservative Party's firearm policy, with the exception of rescinding the OIC gun ban, requires passing legislation. That legislation can only be passed if the Conservative Party wins a majority government. And then I just want to comment that as well, the Canadian Coalition of Firearms Rights responded to Aaron's announcement saying that we review it. And we agree with it that the classification should not be political. And uh, this issue has been used by Trudeau to divide Canadians for long enough. And we would welcome an opportunity to depoliticize this topic and focus on public safety. Okay. We do have time for one last question before we get into the uh, closing comments. And um, the question is, is what is your government's number one priority to address affordable housing. And I'm going to footnote this because I was in southern Ontario a few weeks ago and I was actually stunned and appalled at the number of homeless people that I saw in southern Ontario. And their economy, I don't think, is as good as ours is out here. We're a little bit immune from that situation out here to some degree, certainly in some of our smaller cities. Um, but I was, I was shocked uh, at what I saw in southern Ontario. So I think that it may not be a major issue necessarily here, but I do worry that we could be facing a homeless crisis in this area if we don't address, address it. So I'm very happy to have this question. What is your government's number one priority to address affordable housing? And we will start with Braden. Okay, so if you're 20 years old and you live in Vancouver and you work at a grocery store, it's probably impossible for you to purchase a home. Uh, but might I remind you that you can move anywhere you wish in the country and you can work at a grocery store in a small town where housing is about the tenth the price. So I think this is a major issue in cities that people refuse to leave and there are more affordable houses in other towns. I personally purchased a house for $35,000 and my wife and I are renovating it. Denise, the Maverick Party answer that? The Maverick Party does not have a policy on this issue at the time. But a municipal government may have to work together hand in hand to help facilitate the work that is needed to help bring affordable housing to the younger generation. 
We cannot and should not expect private developers to fix this issue as they are a profit-driven entity and the answer lies somewhere in between. There is a known shortage of affordable housing, with Canada being at the bottom of the G7 in this area. Necessity for this issue is to be worked on by all parties as it is something that will have to be done. Kathy Wagenthal. Okay, thank you very much. This is a huge issue in Canada right now, and there are things that we need to do on the broader scale that are really important. Important, sorry. And the first thing is we need to ban foreign investors from buying homes here if they're not planning to move to Canada. My son lived in a subdivision in Calgary and found out that the entire subdivision was owned by someone from China who has never been here and never intends to come. And they're destroying housing prices for everyday Canadians. We need to stabilize the real estate market by increasing the number of homes being built and addressing unfair and corrupt, corrupt practices that have driven up prices, uh, such as money laundering. So that's all engaged in that same issue, and it needs to be dealt with in Canada, and we will do that. Uh, we need to address the soaring cost of renting a home by partnering with municipalities and the private sector to bring new rental units into the market. And uh, the federal government has a lot of properties that are just vacant and there are amazing things that we can do with that and that's part of our focus as well and I want to commend Yorkton because the work that is done on this issue here is just amazing because there is a realization that we need to have affordable housing and uh, we will certainly work with any government uh, with our indigenous communities as we talked about it today to make sure that everybody has a home that they can afford and take care of because housing first if you don't have a home Everything else in your life falls apart. And that's something that we've always worked towards, and housing first is a priority for us as conservatives. Agreed. Life with dignity, uh, you can't live in dignity if you don't have a house or don't have a, a, a roof over your head. Um, that's one of our <clears throat> major pillars as well. And we need to tackle uh, affordable housing and homelessness together, I think. So among other things, uh, the Green Party would, would call on the government to uh, immediately recognize housing unaffordability and homelessness as twin national crises, redefine affordable housing using a better updated formula, uh, enhance the Canada housing benefit, strengthen regulation of foreign investment in residential real estate, uh, create an empty home tax for foreign and corporate residential property owners who leave buildings and units vacant mm -hmm. and prioritize funding for nonprofit and, and corporate housing. Okay, so for closing comments, if you want to go back to the podium, you'll have a two-minute um, window to offer your summation. And we will start with Valerie Brooks of the Green Party. So why vote green? Many of you think, may think, a vote for me is a wasted vote because I'm not going to win and my party is never going to form government. Well, I tell you I can't win and we can't form government unless you vote green. Every election you have the power. Your vote matters more than ever now. This pandemic has been difficult and has brought people to a boiling point. We can't lose sight of what matters, and what matters to me is that the evolution of our government is not only possible, but necessary. The Canadian parliamentary system needs to evolve, 
to meet the needs of the coming years. We need to work together collaboratively to tackle the current crisis we are now in and the ones that are coming. I've heard so many people say, I really like your policies and your positions, but I need to put my vote where it will do the most good. Well, let me tell you what a green vote represents and why I believe it will do the most good. A green vote represents you are tired of the current state of Canadian politics and want real change. A green vote represents you are tired of attack ads, divisive partisan politics, and an adversarial system. A green vote represents you are looking for real solutions that are carefully constructed by a diverse group of knowledge holders. A green vote means you are still hopeful for the future and believe a better system of government is possible. A green vote means you want and demand a more dignified life for all Canadians. A green vote means you are seriously concerned about the environment and know we are the only party that takes it as serious as you. And a green vote means you are brave and are standing up for what you believe in. Silence emboldens hate. Don't be silent. Support our vision for Canada. Vote green. And if anything I've said tonight resonates with you, come on over to the green team. We welcome everyone. Kathy Wagenthal from the Conservative Party. Okay. Uh, first of all, I want to thank the Chamber for doing this tonight. Really appreciate it, as well as having Access and The Rock here, and all of you. I hope that tonight you heard times when different people agreed with each other. And that is one of the challenges that we have as Canadians. We are a huge country. We represent all kinds of different perspectives. And it is an incredible honor for me to have represented you for the past six years and to be serving you in the House of Commons in spite of all that I never dreamed I would be dealing with as your Member of Parliament. So I want you to know that uh, I am so proud of being a Conservative. We are the only party sitting in that place that allows all of us to think differently. When we discuss any issue, it goes from one end to the other. And then like my husband and I, we start out like this, and then we cross each other in the middle and end up on the opposite side. When we don't have enough time to discuss something, somebody says, my office is open. If you want to come, let's get together. I don't have a problem with my leader not agreeing with me on everything. I don't agree with anybody on everything. And Canadians are tired of politics where you can't have a voice. And I can tell you within my party, I have a voice. Someone said they don't allow you to speak your own mind and you get kicked out. You guys, I'm still there. And believe me, I could tell you about conversations I've had with my leader, but I'm not gonna. So I just encourage you to realize that more than anything, our country is being held hostage and we need to get it back. And I can assure you that by voting for me and this country, voting for Aaron O'Toole and every one of my phenomenal colleagues, we will do that. And we will turn things around and we will bring our country back to the democracy and the freedoms that we are all so desperately missing and so afraid of losing. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kathy. <laughs> Denise Lutz of the Maverick Party. 
Again, I would like to thank the Chamber of Commerce for this opportunity to speak to you and to answer the many questions that you had for all of us here and that could make it. Our party is dedicated to uniting the West to form a strong united front to bring about the changes needed. British Columbia, Alberta, Manitoba and Saskatchewan together have 104 seats. Quebec in comparison has 78 seats and wields a considerable amount of power. That is why the West has the power to change things. Yes, it's an uphill battle, but I think we can achieve what we set out to do. I hope you consider supporting our party this election and in future elections as we forge ahead in our mission to improve things for Western Canada. To my fellow candidates, it's been a great opportunity to hear each of your platforms, and I hope that all of us together are able to work towards a better future within our communities. Thank you, and good evening. And Brayden Robertson of the People's Party. to touch up on something in regards to splitting the vote believe it or not in this specific riding this is a two-horse race between the ppc and the conservatives the ndp and liberals have been in hiding no debates no signs no chance of winning. has anyone seen a liberal or an ndb ndp sign anywhere no yeah the split the vote argument is meaningless here so i would just like to mention this is what's important to me, freedom of speech, freedom of association, freedom of religion, freedom of mobility, property rights, parental rights, medical rights, and medical choice. Thanks. Have a good night, guys. And so with that, uh, we'll bring our program to a close. I want to thank all of you for coming out uh, tonight to listen to the candidates. I want to thank the candidates for uh, you know letting your names stand. And uh, in these very strange times that we live, having an opinion of any kind can be dangerous. And so I'm living proof of that too, actually. <laughs> We've got five minutes. You want me to answer the questions? Um, so no, thank you, and also thank you very much, um, Thanks, you know, for, for putting your names forward, and uh, and good luck on uh, on Monday. Um, actually, I do have I do have one question, and this is only for Kathy because I did see this, and in this world of fake news, I don't know if it's true or not. Is it true that they're anticipating one million mail-in ballots to be counted the next morning? I haven't heard that. Um, from what I understand here in this riding, we have less than 300, or has it gone up? It's not this riding I'm concerned about. It's, I understand that, yeah. but I don't have the intel on that okay. is what I'm saying. That is something that I did read today, so if you want to find out information on that, that is something that I did see today. and that is Disconcerting, yeah. A dis, yes, that would be one word that I would use for that. <laughs> so thank you very much again for, uh, for putting your names forward. Thank you very much for coming tonight and letting the people hear what you all stand for. Uh, the candidates are reminded to uh, hang back for a picture. I think uh, Juanita wants to get a photo of the candidates and of uh, the three of you, and so that would be... 
and and the other directors that are here tonight uh, as well. So uh, you guys had a lot of running around, more than normal when we do these forums. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of questions, and so we want to thank all of you um, for being engaged tonight. We want to thank The Rock again for uh, letting mm -hmm. people uh, listen to this at home and also access now um, for people that want to uh, watch it on uh, Saturday at 1 and Sunday at 7 if you want to uh, catch the uh, the replay. So thank you very much for coming and have a good night and uh, look forward to seeing what the results are on Monday.